0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me if you would to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 10. As you probably figured, we are continuing in our series through the book of Galatians. It's called Free Indeed. Uh, And as you're turning there, in case you're just joining us on this journey through uh, Galatians, um, let me catch us up. So, chapter one, uh, Paul kind of starts out by expressing his amazement and anguish that the Galatian Christians were being deceived with a false gospel, and he goes so far as to say those that are uh, teaching this false gospel should be accursed. He he starts saying kind of wild stuff like. I don't care if an angel pops up. I don't care if I come back and tell you a different gospel than we already told you. Anybody that tries that should be accursed, should be set apart, separated and marked as a a wolf and dangerous, right? Not somebody to be trusted and they should be ignored. So those are big statements. So then he, he goes on in the rest of chapter one to defend his big statements by reminding the Galatians of his own story, of how Jesus saved him. And what Jesus saved him from. And, and Paul ties the story of his conversion, which was pretty miraculous. We went back and read that last week in Acts 9. Uh, he ties the story of his conversion to the reality that the gospel he received was not by the agency of man, but it was a revelation from Jesus Christ himself. And so the false teachers that he had in mind, primarily the issue at hand, was a group called Judaizers. They were, they were, for the most part, they were Pharisees who had come to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah, uh, and that he had died and risen again, and that faith in him was the way we'd be saved. But because they were strict Pharisees, and because for so long the paradigm that they operated in was God had a people the descendants of Abraham, and then there was everybody else. This was really hard for them to deprogram and to understand that now, because the, the, the relationship to God was not determined by adherence to these laws that he gave his specific people. It was by f- grace through faith in Christ that that brought down the, the barrier between Jew and Gentile. Okay, So they're, they're struggling with that. And, and they basically still believe, and they're trying to teach people, That in order to be a follower of Jesus, you need to be Jewish first. And, And they can't, of course, change their ethnicity, but they're talking about you need to adhere to all of the Old Testament covenant laws, and then you can receive salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Okay, so that's their basic position. You had to become Jewish before you could become Christian. And, and the argument around this, there was a flashpoint, it was almost summarized in the insistence upon one specific element of Hebrew identity and obedience to uh, the Old Testament law of Moses. So, I'm going to give you a little bit of, you know, this is kind of a word search here. As we read today, Galatians 2, 1-10, I want to see if you can identify this, this one focal point of the debate about whether salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ alone, or if obedience to Jewish law is also required. Pretty important for us today the the because there was a bunch of smart people that thought that was the case, right? So let's, <laughs> let's investigate, all right? Because um, maybe I shouldn't be eating shrimp. I don't know. Let's find out. Um, okay, so we're going to read Galatians uh, 2, 1 through 10, okay? Then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up And I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation, for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage. But we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel... Would remain with you. But for those who were of high reputation, what they were makes no difference to me, God shows no partiality. Well, those who were of reputation contributed nothing to me. But on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, for he who effectually worked for Peter in his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. Praise God for his word. Amen. All right, so let's come back to verse one. Um, this, this council at Jerusalem, there's. There's some debate about the events Paul's kind of referencing here, whether they occur in Acts 11 or Acts 15. I think it could be a little bit of both. Uh, I understand why there's debate. It's not that important, really. The bottom line is he's recounting it here for a specific purpose, and we're going to kind of stay in that lane. Um, verse 1, we see a couple characters introduced here that you may or may not be familiar with. Barnabas was a well-known and respected leader among the early church. Uh, he and Paul had done lots of missionary work together. And he was a key player in the early expansion of the good news about Jesus going out to the Gentiles. Uh, Barnabas' name, it means encourager. And uh, you, you see that he was aptly named uh, in his encouragement of John Mark and others in the book of Acts. So you'll see the most said about Barnabas in the book of Acts if you read that. Okay? Titus was a, a son in the faith to Paul. And he helped Paul a lot in in, in a lot of the church planting and evangelism that we see recorded throughout the New Testament. Uh, Titus notably spent a long time on the island of Crete, uh, and he was left there to guard sound doctrine and to strengthen the churches there by training and appointing elders to lead them. Did some pastoral work there and church planting work on the island of Crete. Uh, Paul actually wrote a letter to Titus, Uh, And I think in 2015, we studied that letter together. So uh, if you want to know more about that, I think it's, I don't know, six or seven sermons long. Not a very long book, but in any case, there you go. Uh, Verse two. It was because of the revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. That's, you get the wrong idea there. This, This is less, that Paul was worried that the gospel he was preaching was untrue, right? Like if that was the case, then Galatians 1 is confusing because he's like, anybody says anything different, they should be accursed, right? Even if it's an angel. Paul's not super worried that the gospel, he knows what's up. Like this this gospel he's preaching is is correct. Um, He's already laid out in Galatians 1 in no uncertain terms that there's only one gospel and to believe any other is to abandon the God who gave it to us in Christ, right? So there's, it goes farther than just are you abandoning the gospel. He makes this, this tie-in that if, if you do that, if you walk away from this true gospel, we're going to have an additional issue. You're, you're actually abandoning the God who gave it to us uh, because coming to him only happens one way, and it's through receiving this good news and message about Jesus. So... Uh, The real concern here is that if the leaders in Jerusalem, and namely here we're talking about Peter, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, and John, if they were going to agree with the Judaizers, uh, then all of the work that Paul had done would be in danger of being undone. You know, they've been out planting churches, they've been out preaching this idea to people that, look man, it doesn't matter anymore. Whether you're Jew, Greek, doesn't matter. Here's what Here's what matters. Do you realize that you're a sinner, and will you trust Jesus to be your savior that's it that's, that's the gospel right so uh, if but if if the the kind of pillars of the Jerusalem church, the apostles, if the Judaizers were able to convince them, well, it is that, but it's also adherence to Old Testament law, that's going to be problematic that's going to mean First of all, you know, what happens then, right? Because Paul doesn't believe that, but then what's going to happen to all these churches that have, that have heard the real gospel? It'd be a lot of confusion and a lot of, a lot of really um, hard work could be undone. So that's what he's really talking about there. What he doesn't want to happen is he's gone through, you know, he's, he's been to all these places, they've planted these churches, they're starting to thrive and grow and preach the gospel... You know, he he doesn't want these these Judaizers to be able to come along with the authority from the, the apostles in Jerusalem and, and you know, so they, they show up, let's say, in Galatia, and the Galatians are having a church barbecue and you know, they're barbecuing up some pork shoulder, they're barbecuing up some shrimp, right? And the Judaizers show up like, Hold on, man, you guys aren't Christians. Because you're eating that stuff, and the old testament law says you can't, right? It's like that that's gonna be a problem. So um, I mean ultimately the biggest concern isn't barbecue here, but that is a concern. We need to have freedom about what goes on the barbecue. You guys agree with that? Can you say amen to that? Amen. We need freedom in Christ about... That's right. Some shrimp on the barbie. So, uh, whatever it is. (laughs) So, that's that's kind of the... That's what we're diving into. That's the issue we're talking about today. Verse three says, but not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So, Titus is kind of a, he's an example here almost. He's, he's a guy that has clearly been grabbed a hold of by Jesus, has been doing all this work, given his life to preach the gospel and to help Paul with these missionary journeys. And he's a Greek and he's not been circumcised. So he's kind of a, an object lesson about, look, man, here's, here's a real life example of why what these, these guys are saying is not true. Um, and this kind of leads us headfirst into that common focal point that I was asking you to look for. Uh, there's a flashpoint around this idea of whether adherence to the Old Testament law uh, is, is needed first, and, and to become Jewish first, before you could become a Christ follower. That flashpoint, that focal point, is circumcision, okay? That's, where, that's what it came down to a lot. I mean, They believed you needed to do more than that broadly, but that was the big deal that was being argued here. Um, And so these guys argued often that men needed to be circumcised, just as all the descendants of Abraham had been since the covenant, uh, terms that were laid out by God in Genesis 17 to Abraham. Okay, so that was part of the deal. Now, I'm going to read those to you so that you see what I'm talking about. But I just want to say this, if... (laughs) If you have yet to become a follower of Jesus or you are newer to the faith, I I can totally understand if right now you might be perplexed why everybody seems so concerned uh, with everyone else's foreskin or lack thereof at this juncture in the scriptures, okay? I can totally see why that would be confusing to you, Um, and and I'm going to do my best to help us understand that, okay? Okay it's it's important for us that have been reading the Bible for a long time because we read this, right? And if you've been all through the whole thing, you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I see why they're talking about that. But then like folks that are like new to the Bible, you know, we start talking about circumcision. Like this is this big deal and everybody wants to know is this guy circumcised? Is that guy circumcised? You could, if you're new to all this, you'd be like, what is happening here? Right? Like, <laughs> what? So, Let's, let me explain it as best we can. So, th- th- let me, This is God's covenant with Abraham all the way back in Genesis 17. So Abraham co- is, is often referred to as the father of our, of our faith. He's kind of the, the first guy that God came to and said, I want you to believe me. Believe me that I'm going to give you a son, and through him all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. Through his descendants, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed, right? Um, that's That's Abraham, and he, in a lot of ways, kind of kicks this this whole thing off. So Genesis 17, starting in verse 6, here's that covenant. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant to be God to you, to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land where you live as a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said further to Abraham, now is for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. Okay, so that's where this is coming from. This is something that God said, this wasn't a man-made thing, God did absolutely lay this down as a term of covenant with Abraham. Now, here's what's a little wonky about it. God never explicitly explains why circumcision was the sign that he chose to distinguish his covenant people from those of the surrounding nations. Um, I've got an idea about that. I'll share it with you. It's, you It's just an idea, though. However... I would mention at this point, I know there's a lot of people that, that they, they kind of genuinely feel like the Bible really gives women a hard time. And I would just like to point out that women got off pretty easy on this point uh, when it came to like, God's covenant with Abraham. It's like, You know, I could, I could see a spoiled brat guy being like, well, what, what about them, man? Like, what the heck? You know, circumcising the babies is one thing, but Abraham's like, hold on, like now this is going ha- to happen? This happened now? <laughs> Okay, you know? <laughs> you know, we talk about Abraham being a man of faith, and it's, it's like, when you consider this, like, that brother was. Come on. Okay. But uh, I, like, you know, I, I'm sure some of you, I've wondered about this quite a bit. Like, <laughs> we're talking about a covenant sign for God's people, wouldn't like a, you know, you heat up some kind of shaped iron, do a brand on the arm, or like a certain haircut, I don't know, like an ancient Hebrew bowl cut or something, do something visible that would be, you know, it seemed like that would make more sense, right, as a a sign of that they're the covenant people, in particular because I'm thinking, like, in your average everyday interaction, this this covenant sign wouldn't be that obvious unless part of God's covenant was also, and you will be nudists, right? Like, this is, how do, you know, (laughs) I get it's a visible sign, but it's not that visible unless you're in certain circumstances. So, anyways, I'm going to say this, this is, hear me say this very clearly. This is total Pastor Vince conjecture. I'm way out on a, on a limb here. So take it with a giant grain of salt. But this is, I've thought about this a lot and, and I'm just going to offer this to you because I think it's a maybe possible, okay? So I could think maybe possibly one of the reasons why God chose circumcision as that covenant sign. It could have had to do with sexual sin because God had commanded his people not to intermarry with other nations, not because of their race, but because of the false gods that they worshipped. Okay. He also called them to sexual fidelity within covenant marriage. And so for me, you know, I've lived as a human now for a bit. Um, <laughs> I know how strong sexual temptation is. I've walked with a lot of people that also, you know, I've found out after having real conversations with enough people over time that sexual temptations fairly difficult for most people. So, um, and we read how many of God's people were led astray by that specific temptation through the scriptures, it stands to reason that, that maybe the mark of their covenant commitment to obey God being upon the male sexual organ was in part to put a visual roadblock between them and sinning sexually. Because I can see that one of the highest possibilities of people being drawn into disobedience to God is through that particular temptation. So again, That's not in the Bible, God never said that, so you know I could be way off, but it would make sense to me that that could be part of it. But there's another interesting detail that we read here, that it doesn't explain why circumcision, but it it does say something about the the brilliance of God as our creator. Um, You you may wonder, why the eighth day? Why does he specify on the eighth day is when they should be circumcised? Well, of course, we didn't know this until thousands of years later, but... There's actually, newborns, um, they, there's, there's a, <clears throat> a blood clotting factor called uh, prothrombin, okay, and it's, it, it's dependent upon full development of the liver and, and the production of vitamin K in the body. And uh, what some of you may or may not know is since the 1960s, we have been giving newborns, for the most part, a vitamin K supplement within the first couple of days of birth because from days one to eight, okay, uh, their, their level of the prothrombin and the vitamin K are not yet to the point where they can clot blood well, okay? But what's interesting is, on day eight specifically, uh, oftentimes you'll see the levels of those blood clotting factors be at 110% of the normal value. And then it'll drop back to what's... Uh, so it's like, it gets up to like day seven, you start hitting it real good, there's a spike a lot of the times on day eight, and then it kind of levels out to what it's going to be the rest of their life. Abraham didn't know that, but thankfully, you know, he obeyed God on what day to do it, right? Because God knows how he made people. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, Beyond kind of trying to understand the physical elements of what God may have been doing there, uh, circumcision is, is later and often used to illustrate spiritual truth. So I think there's probably a lot to this. I wish the Lord would have explained more about this, but Maybe we'll find out more later, like eternity side. So let me just read you these. Deuteronomy 10, 16, it says, So circumcise your heart and do not stiffen your neck any longer. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, says, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. Um, so here we see this, this language being now used in a spiritual sense about this circumcision of the heart when it comes to what God does when he comes into the life of a person. Uh, circumcision was always, at some level, a physical symbol pointing to a deeper spiritual truth. This is Jeremiah 4.4. 4. It says, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and remove the foreskin of your hearts, men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or else my wrath will spread like fire and burn with no one to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. Okay? So, we see that circumcision was an outward symbol of the old covenant that was entered by birth to a descendant of Abraham. So you got into that covenant by physically being descended of Abraham, okay? The outward symbol of the new covenant, which is entered by new birth through faith in Jesus, is water baptism, okay? Now, I'm not saying those are, that one replaced the other necessarily, and there is some debate among us Bible nerds about what all that exactly means, but there, there's, there's some correlation in at least at this level, that circumcision was was an outward symbol of that that first covenant with Abraham, which was people were brought into by birth by his descendancy, and now we come into the new covenant uh, relationship with the Lord by new birth, faith in Jesus, and the outward sign of that is water baptism. Okay. I just, I just want to point out here I, that I'm really glad Paul fought this fight back then and got this sorted out because sharing the gospel today, if like Paul would have lost this argument, would be a lot harder with dudes in particular, right? Like I'm out here trying to tell someone about Jesus. Like, hey man, look, you're a sinner and we all need Jesus. And they're like, oh yeah, you know what? That makes sense. Yeah. Like, so what, tell me more about that. Or yeah, I, you know what? I believe that. I know I'm a sinner and I, I believe Jesus is the Savior, yes. And I'm like, okay, awesome. Just one more thing. Are you circumcised? Like, what? Dude, what did you just say to me, bro? You know what I mean? (laughs) So I'm glad we don't have to do that, right? Because we had this debate. We had the Jerusalem Council. We had the Judaizers that got put back in their place. No, you do not have to become a Jew first to follow Jesus. He came and did something brand new. If you want to follow Jesus, it comes down to trusting him by faith. Not that the rest of these things were bad. They all had their purpose in their time. God was doing something then and it led us to now, but we're now. This is a new covenant, okay? Thank you. So when I get to heaven, be like, you know, if I get a chance to shake Paul's hand, I'm sure there'll be a long line. It's like, look, Paul, first of all, bro, thank you for the letters. Those were super helpful. Also, thank you for handling the circumcision thing. Like, I'm glad I wasn't in 2021 trying to fight this fight. You know what I mean? Like, that would have made evangelism much more complicated. <laughs> Amen. Thank you, Paul. You know, Paul knew who he called on the road to Damascus, man. Paul wasn't like a peace at any cost guy. You shouldn't be that way. Like, if, if, if an issue is infringing upon the purity of the gospel, then we need, we, we have to have an argument. <laughs> Right, can't do it. It's too important. Okay, Uh, so verse four and five, and this this just kind of pushes that point farther. But it was it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty. You didn't know there's like spies and stuff in the New Testament. There they are. Our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage, but we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour, so that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. Right, because that's we, we're so removed from this, I've, I've done my best to try to explain the lay of the land so you understand why this was an issue. We're, we're having to kind of reach to understand that, but, but I want you to know this wasn't just some people arguing about circumcision. This was a gospel issue, okay? Now, not every single thing people argue about is a gospel issue. Lots of times people make things a gospel issue that aren't a gospel issue, okay? But this was one. Because what was being said was, Jesus isn't enough. And we're in trouble right there. Hold on. Pump the brakes. As soon as we're in that realm, we we have a serious issue. Right? And that's that's what's going on. This was a gospel issue. The purity of Christ's gospel was at stake. Because if the Judaizers would have gotten their way, then we need to go back all the way around all these cities where these churches have been planted and tell them, the Jesus you've received is not enough. You now need to pledge yourself to follow Old Testament covenant and ritual if you want to be a Christ follower. And that would have been absolutely against what Christ had already revealed to us in his life, death, resurrection, and in the, the commissioning of his apostles to tell the good news about what all that meant. Okay? Amen. <clears throat> uh, verse 6. Uh, but from those who were of high reputation... Uh, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Uh, well, those who were re- reputation co- contributed nothing to me. This sounds pretty snarky on paul 's part, like he 's got a bad attitude. It's, it sounds worse than it really is, but he does mean what he says. Um, let me say the part that maybe sounds worse is says, well, those who were reputation contributed nothing to me. what, what he 's saying there? Uh, is not that he got no value from meeting with them. I mean, he came to meet with them for the purpose of making sure, guys, are we on the same page about what the, the purity of this gospel is, right? Like, or, or do we need to work on that? <laughs> you know, so they, there, was, there was value in them coming and having this, this council. But what, what he means by they contributed nothing to me is they didn't, they didn't add any more qualifiers to the gospel than he was already preaching, Okay, because he's out here preaching. Salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ alone, right? And so he's saying, Peter, James, and John didn't say, "Yeah, that and this," or, or any other thing. So, amen to that. But I do see in verse six something that's worthy of us paying some attention to. I, I see something I would call not a very subtle warning um, around the issue of like Christian celebrity, because part of what Paul's dealing with here as he's writing this letter to the Galatians is It seems like these the the ones that were coming with this false teaching of trying to add to um, the the gospel. Some of them may have even come from or been hanging around with the the pillars, the 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 guys in Jerusalem. Your 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 Peter, James, brother of Jesus, and John. And so, if they had like relational connection with them and stuff, and then they come they come to Galatia and they start doing kind of the name dropping things, like, "Oh yeah, when I had lunch with Peter last week." You know, like that type of stuff, right? Um, or, last, I was talking to John just the other day. Um, that could really, like, confuse the Galatians, right? Because Paul didn't go spend a bunch of time in Jerusalem. Paul has been out here on the road doing the thing, right? He hasn't been hanging out at Jerusalem. Let's, let's sit down and have a coffee and a Bible study. He's out here planting churches, getting the gospel to the ends of the earth like the Lord told him to, right? So he, he may not have as much relational connection to them as these other guys do, so... And part of, I think, the warning here is, you know, he's like, their reputation made no difference to me, and he says, God shows no partiality. I think that's just worthwhile for us to keep in mind, because there is, there is this issue, there is, uh, in the world, this, this happening where uh, some people realize the, the message of Jesus, or messages adjacent to the message of Jesus... Um, religion, things of that nature, that that can be used to kind of build up a following. And there are people that uh, are self-promoters. And you can kind of tell by the way they talk and what they do and what their emphasis is. And so Paul's saying, you know, let's not get wrapped up in that stuff. Let's not get overly focused on that. Uh, That's not going to help anybody. And it's it's not going to help those that end up led away and deceived by that and it's not going to help those that that think it's okay to to be that way so um so that's let, let's just keep keep that in mind you know especially especially in the internet age man it's very easy to get very enamored with <clears throat> people that you're never going to meet and they're never going to meet you and it's there's a way to be led astray in that there's multiple ways to be led astray in that. And that's, I think Paul's writing a pastoral letter here. He knew the Galatians. He had spent time with them. And he's saying, guys, I, I know what happens with this name drop and stuff. I know what happens with, you know, when, when people get a, a, a name, kind of bigger than life name and what that can do and how that can have undue influence. So just chill on that, right? Basically is, is the warning. So, amen. I think you get it. Uh, verses seven through nine. Um, he says, but on the contrary, seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For he who effectually worked for Peter and his apostleship to the circumcised, effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, so we might go to the Gentiles and they to the uncircumcised. And so what we see there is um, once, once they have the counsel, once they talk things through, Here's what they find out. Uh, that they are not preaching two different gospels, they're preaching one gospel. But that God has, in his great wisdom, kind of assigned these leaders a different emphasis. And so what is being said here is not that um, Peter can never minister the gospel to a Gentile. As a matter of fact, God dealt with him pretty, pretty plainly back in Acts 10, right? You know, the big sheet with the animals get up, kill, and eat, and all of that. And the whole point of that vision was to say to him, look man, because Cornelius was about to pop up, the whole point of that was for for Peter to know uh, the gospel is also for the Gentiles, man, so don't get it twisted. This has been the plan all along. Like, So it's, it's not that there's like this big wall where, where Peter can't minister to Gentiles or Paul can't minister to uh, his own people, the Jews. I mean, read the book of Romans and you'll hear Paul's heart for his own people, right? He's almost to the point where he's saying, I, I would and so I would almost give up my own redemption if I knew that it meant it would it would help them. Uh, he's broken hearted for how many of them are rejecting the Messiah they had so long waited for, right? And so um, it's not it's not a big dividing wall, but it is a, it's a recognition of look, man, we've got different assignments here, and I think that whole idea is pretty helpful for the way we kind of think about the body of Christ broadly, because what tends to happen because humans are sinful and our nature is. Uh, often leads us to foolishness is we we are a part of whatever part of the body of Christ we're a part of and and we think that, that that emphasis or exactly the way things are done there like that's that's the only right way and we start to think like well everyone else I don't even know if they're in the body if they're not doing it exactly the way we do it and and where we do it and how we do it and they don't say exactly what we say and it's like well hold on man <laughs> ministry to the Jews coming out of those pillars in Jerusalem would would look different in some ways than Paul's ministry to the Gentiles and and uh that's absolutely okay. And so when it gets into like Christian denominations squabbling with each other, uh Christians arguing with each other about this that or the other thing or you know, and and look, like do sometimes things need to be dealt with and corrected and and sometimes argued through in good faith? Yes, absolutely. That can be helpful. But what I'm really talking about here is like the attitude of our hearts towards other people, other believers, and, and what their emphasis may be in the body. Because here's, sometimes, man, you know, Paul in Corinthians use this idea that he uses actual body parts to illustrate the body of Christ. Like, you know, you know, you might be a nose or an ear or an elbow or a toe. You know, it's like, if, if you're a toe in the body of Christ, man, you guys have heard that saying before. Like, if you're, if, you're, if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Or if you're a nail, everything looks like a hammer. I don't know, in any case, You get the point. If you're a toe in the body of Christ, man, you might be like, oh, yeah, I'm a toe, and all the other toes are awesome, and what we do is really important, and this is cool and stuff, but look at those fingers, stupid fingers, doing their finger stuff. Doesn't even matter. But look, man, you only think that because you're a toe, bro. Like, chill out. We need the fingers, too, and the nose hairs and all the stuff, okay? We need a whole body doing all different kinds of stuff. Why, Pastor Vince? Why doesn't it all look exactly like this? Why don't we have exact uniformity everywhere? Because God's brilliant, okay? Because he knows there's different people in different times, in different places, in different cultures. There's different problems. We think of new ways to jack this world up with our sin all the time. There's new kinds of brokenness all the time. And so there's going to be different emphasis. We can't, as a local church body here, we can't answer every single way we've jacked this world up through our sin. There's no way. So we're going to have to pick a couple and go hard at those and then love and support and partner with those that are are dealing with the other stuff. Amen. That's a much healthier, uh, much godlier and more unified way to see it than the, the sometimes bickering and, well if you don't have my emphasis, then you're not as holy as me type stuff because that's just gross, all right? And the issue here was like circumcision. Let me, not, let, let me not give us the impression that we're done with this kind of foolishness, okay? Because I, I, I'm assuming, no, you haven't been in any arguments lately around circumcision and whether or not you need to be circumcised to be a Christian. Not a hot flashpoint issue of the day, I'll grant you, but we do have people oftentimes uh, either explicitly or 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 strongly inferring, which there isn't much difference in that. Okay, so, <laughs> anyways, uh, but let I me mean, just not. When when people give the idea that well, if, if you're not a part of this particular denomination, you're not you're not really a believer, or if you don't this particular pet doctrine or whatever, if you're not as amped about that as we are or I am, then well, I don't think I don't see how you could. I don't see how you could be a believer or this certain hot button political issue one way or the other. If you think this about that way, how could you be, man, you better chill out with that. That's just like the Judaizers coming to say, no, 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 you can't be a follower of Jesus. How can you be a follower of Jesus if you're not circumcised? Paul said, let me tell you how. He died for all of us, man, and changed everything. And so when it comes to relationship with God, all our little pet stuff doesn't matter anymore. One thing matters. Do you know that you are a sinner and that you are dead in your sin apart from Christ and that he made a way for you to be reconciled to God through faith? That's it. So don't you be going around adding whatever your pet thing is. I know none of you are out here telling people, hey, if you're not circumcised, I don't know if you're saved, but there there might be stuff. And maybe you don't say it. Maybe it just lives in your heart. Okay? I don't see how that person can be a Christian because... Well, are, are you saying that you don't know how they could be a Christian because they have no profession of faith? You're fine. Anything else you're inserting in there, we're in trouble. Amen. All right. Okay, verse 10. This verse 10 is very interesting to me. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. Okay. This, why does this stick out to me so much? Paul is there, okay? Why is Paul there? This, why is there a Jerusalem council? He's there to make sure they are in unity on the essentials of the gospel and that they, and they, once they did, they had nothing to add to his message. His message being that Jews and Gentiles, men and women, every race, tribe, and people were all going to come into God's kingdom by acknowledging that they were sinners, that they needed a Savior and believing the message that Jesus was the only one who could save them. That was what they were coming to confirm and make sure, okay, we're all on the same page about that. But I find it very interesting that of all the extra really important things they could say to Paul, it's like, okay, yes, we agree on what the gospel is, Paul, but hey, there's one more really important thing I just think you should keep in mind as you're traveling around planning churches and teaching people how to follow Jesus. This is super we're settled on the gospel, and, 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 and we're not talking about that now. We're talking about something that's real, real close and important. So we got one more thing I'm going to say to you, Paul. Of all the things they could say, what do they say? Remember the poor. Remember the poor. And why would this be the one thing they mentioned? Of all the things they could, there's so many other things that are a part of what it means to follow Jesus once you have been saved by grace through faith. Why did this make the cut? of the one thing they said. As Paul's heading out the door, yep, we agree on the gospel, we're good to go. But Paul, hey man, there's one, just, this is a big deal, bro. Rem, make sure you're remembering the poor out there. Why? Because they knew what a big deal it was to Jesus. If you've been around Bible stuff at all, you've heard this, but I'm gonna read it to you again. I don't care how many times you've heard it, I don't care if you can quote it at me. Listen to me, this is important. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another, just as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, and he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and, and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it to me. And then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you accursed people into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or as a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me either. These will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life. Why did the pillars, Peter, James, and John, made a chance to give like one more big major thing, Paul, we got to keep in mind here. If we're going to faithfully go out here and teach people what it means to follow Jesus, did they say, remember the poor? Because they heard their master teach this. Okay, that's a big deal. Now let's make this very, very clear. Caring for the poor won't save you. But if you truly belong to Jesus, you will care for the poor. This is a non-negotiable attribute among those who Christ has claimed as his own and paid for with his blood. It's non-negotiable. And so the question is, how do you care for them? I'm gonna tell you quickly a few ways. But the other thing I wanna also float out there is this reality. Some of you may have just heard that. The gravity of those verses, the way they should hit us, it has hit you and you realize there's there's a lapse between your actual care for the poor and what it seems that we're being called to here by the master himself. And what it seems that, and then the summary that the apostles had of, of the, the one extra thing besides the gospel that Paul, you need to keep in mind as you go out here and teach people about Jesus is teach them to care for the poor. And you make sure you care for the poor, brother, right? What's the, what's the deal there? You, if, you, if you right now are realizing, man, <clears throat> I, I don't know that I do care for the poor that much. What I don't want you to do is shrink back into condemnation, but I want you to acknowledge that, be honest about it, and pray and ask the, the Lord to help you. We're going to talk about a little bit some of the process of, of changing our thinking about that, but, but first off, Rip, you've got to be honest, man. Does your care for the poor match up with what we just read from Matthew 25? Does your care for the poor rise to the level of prominence where if you were explaining how to follow Jesus to somebody, it's like, hey man, here, the gospels, that's the most important thing, in the, in the, and that, that's the, the, the top of the heap, but right underneath that is going to be care for the poor if you're a follower of Jesus. Does, does the priority list go like that for you? If not, why not? If not, let's be honest about it. If not, let's submit that to the Lord in prayer. And look, I know there's a whole bunch of <clears throat> excuses that could come in about why we don't feel that way, I don't, but I don't care about any of our excuses. Flat out, it's pretty plain here where this lands in the Lord's priority list. Can can you at least say amen to that? Okay, good. So how do we care for them? First of all, you pray for them. You pray for them. Here's something you'll, you'll find. You'll find yourself caring about things that you pray about. And so it may start out that just out of discipline because you know you should have a deep and abiding care for the poor as a follower of Jesus, it may start as a matter of discipline that you pray for the poor. But what you'll find is Sometimes it's not that you feel it first and then that's what compels you to pray, but you pray out of obedience to God and then the feelings come, okay? So we pray for the poor, we should. The second thing we do is, is we share with them. We look actively for opportunities to share and to be generous towards the poor. And that's where I told you at the beginning of the service that the scriptures today we're going to, hit right on the head the opportunity for us to discuss uh, the chance for us to give towards this, this opportunity in Mexico and us going to build this house. And look, I know that some of you, oh, that got loud. I know that some of you, there, there's, there might, you, you may be tempted to this thought. And as I respond to it, I, let me say, <clears throat> I'm empathetic to the, I know why some people would think this way and I'm empathetic to the fact that you could get there but I also want to say I'm annoyed by it. So if that comes through, just chalk it up, okay? I'm not mad at you, but I am generally annoyed with this premise, okay? Because I could see some of you come back at me when when I'm saying, all right, here's, here's the deal. We got a bunch of people that are not only going to Mexico, but they've paid to go and they've paid for about half of this building project. Now I'm calling on the rest of you who, for the most part, many of you knew the trip was happening. For whatever reason, you can't go. Praise God, that's fine. I got no issues with that. But if you're not going, I'm going to ask you, to sacrificially give towards us getting this house built, okay? Now, you could say to me, well, Pastor Vince, I don't know if I agree with that because we've got so many issues of poverty here in the U.S. Why are we going to somewhere else to some other country to, to uh, address poverty there when we've got so much poverty right here around us? Okay, well, that's, so that's the thing that annoys me. So remember, if you're thinking that way, I love you. It's okay, but we're gonna talk, all right? Here's, here's why that's a problem. First off, here's what I need to say to you. If you're, if you're saying that to me, I, I would, I would have a, I'd be willing to bet you probably haven't been where we're going, and maybe you've never been out of the United States context, okay? Maybe not, but, but most people that would say that haven't been, because what I'm just trying to tell you is, it's different, okay? Here's what's going to happen. We're going to go down there, and we're going to build a 16 by 20 house. Do you know what that is? Mo- Many of your living rooms are 16 by 20 okay? That's roughly the size of of an average American living room. That's going to be the whole house, okay? It's a first floor and then half of the back comes out and there's a loft to increase the, the square footage and have a little bedroom area for the kids, okay? So it's smaller than the average American garage for sure, okay? The one particularly that we're building this time, and this is often the case when we go... We're not building in a community that has plumbing. We're not building in a community that has electrical hookups. So we're gonna build a shell of a house with no plumbing and no electric, literally at the top of a mountain, okay? And this, and we're gonna hand that to somebody. If I handed that to somebody here, it, 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 would, it would be called cruel and unusual punishment. We don't, our, our inmates are, have it better than what we're gonna build for these folks. And they, they're, they, they can't believe we're coming. They, they can't wait to have this little tiny thing we're going to build for them and be able to call it their own and have a safe place for their family to live. It's different, okay? The the, the poverty is different. It looks different. And so there is value in us because of where God has placed us and the time he has placed us, taking the resources that we have and going to address poverty in other places, okay? Also part of why we're going is simply because we have relationship and we believe in what's going on down there. The gospel's being preached. People are coming to Christ. And uh, communities are being shown that God's people uh, actually love folks and they're willing to like, put their money where their mouth is on that. Okay? Amen. The other thing I would say to that is, uh, yes, we are <clears throat> involved with things on foreign soil, but we are also involved with things here. Um, weekly, okay? If you're new around here, you may not know this. Weekly, we have outreaches focused towards serving those that are experiencing homelessness. Okay? We are knee-deep in the poverty here, right here in our city and doing all that we possibly can to bring an answer to that and to walk in love towards folks that are struggling. Um, I, and, and this is an opportunity, so, so why am I saying this? <clears throat> because when it comes to us having a, a right thinking about caring for the poor, I told you we should pray for them, but also uh, where your treasure is, your heart is also. And so again, um, I'm asking you to... to to maybe think about it different. Because when I bring up the fact that we're about to build this house in Mexico, it, it, that hits all of you some way, right? Some of you hear that and instantly, and, and it's, those of you that are like precious, hyper generous, tender conscious sheep in here, and you're like really nervous about my tone of voice right now, just relax, it's okay. I'm not talking to you, okay? I'm talking to the stingy stiff neck ones right now, okay? I got to deal with them too sometimes, all right? So <laughs> if you're a precious sheep and you, I mean, you already got the check made out. I said Mexico and that's all you heard, like, brrr, right? Because you're a giver and you're generous. That's fu- You're okay. We'll hug afterwards. I know I sound a little upset, but we got to deal with stuff sometimes and be direct. Okay. I'm trying to be direct today. So here's another direct thing I'm going to say to you. Within the last month, I came to this church and I said, weather's changing. Here's what I'm asking you guys to do. Take some of your shopping anointing that I know you all have. Go hit up some local thrift stores, find large to 2X hoodies, find the deals, go on green tag day, get a bunch of them, and bring those in because we start needing those to hand out. To my knowledge, not one hoodie has come in yet, okay? So I just want to make sure I'm saying real clear again, we need your help on this. I know not all of you can go out on Wednesday night or Friday nights, and that's fine. I get that. But it's going to take all of us to keep this thing going and to be able to to provide the needs of the people around us, okay? Okay. So I'm saying it again, we need some stuff. Amen. How does that hit you? Do you not like the way I'm talking to you right now? Does me calling you towards generosity? Like, man, see, I told you, if it's your first time here, I could see like, man, you're bumping your spouse your first time here. Hey, I told you churches are always just about money. This guy's up here trying to get money. That's all it's always about. It's about money. Man, miss me with that, okay? Because here's the reality. You can count on one hand how many times I stand up here in a given year and ask for anything other than, did I say anything about anything when it comes to offerings or tithes or none of that? Okay? Go back. Check the record. I, I bet you you can count on one hand. Okay? So that, that's not the issue here. The issue is, though, that Jesus made very clear his people should care for the poor. And I don't want you to be able to live in this delusion that you can be a faithful follower of Jesus and not care for the poor. You can't. Just flat out can't do it. Amen. Okay, good. Awesome. Awesome. That's what we're doing. This is really about me pastoring your heart. This isn't so, I'm not trying to get hoodies out of you or get Mexico money out of you. Here's the bottom line. Uh, whether or not you give today towards any of that, we're going to do all those things. God always has and always will provide the means. But it's an opportunity for you to care about what the Bible says you should care about and or move in obedience to that or not. That's what we're dealing with. Okay, The things are going to get done regardless. But you should be a part of it. Amen. There you go. All right. We're getting it. Last thing, how do you care for the poor? You spend time with them. You spend time with them. Romans 12, 14, it says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. But associate with the lowly. It's very easily to get ourselves insulated into our little, our little tribes and encampments, our little socioeconomic comfort bubble. Um, man, I'm just telling you right now, there's some value to you intentionally looking for ways to get outside of that, uh, where that makes you comfortable, and associate with people uh, that are in a lower socioeconomic status than you. And it doesn't have to be what we're doing on Wednesdays and Fridays. It doesn't mean that you have to go down underneath bridges and minister to people at like the lowest rung there's all kinds of people suffering from the effects of poverty and uh, have difficulties and, and would be considered the, the poor that need to be cared for. But I'm just asking you to care about it, to think about it, to pray for them, to give towards it when the opportunity comes, but also not not, not think that the end of it is, okay, if I see a need, I can throw some dollars at it. And then whew, there, I cared about it. Um, it. There's also something to pressing in beyond and getting to know those folks because Part of what we're doing when we're out doing ministry in the streets, we're not, we're not just driving by and tossing bowls of pasta at people like rapid fire and off we go because the, the, the other half of the job is, is, yes, to meet their physical need. Like Jesus cares about just that. Anybody wants to try to come and tell me that feeding somebody in and of itself that's hungry, sitting out there on the street, that that is not ministry that Jesus cares about in and of itself if you want to have that discussion, wear a cup and come see me. Okay? Because it's, it's going to get real. You don't know what you're talking about. A. B, that's not all we're doing. We are looking through by creating... Can you not understand that when you meet somebody's physical need and show them you, love them you love them enough to show up consistently and make sure they have something to eat and you look them in the eye while they're doing it, can't you see how that would open up a door of their heart to think, man, maybe this person is somebody that does care about me. And, and when they talk to me about like what the next steps are for me in my life, like I can listen to them and maybe trust them. I had an awesome experience this week. Finally, COVID and all that has kept me from being able to do it, but the leadership has changed at the Salvation Army Adult Rehabilitation Center that I've been friends with them folks since we've been in Norwood. Major Beauchamp ran that for all the years until basically a couple years ago, a new set of captains came in. Finally this week, I got the chance to go Meet them. Their schedule was hard. Mine was, but we got to meet. But I'm sitting in the lobby of the ARC over here, waiting to meet the new captains. And I'm I'm there less than five minutes, guys. And two different guys, Otis and Joe, that within the last three weeks, we had served bowls of food downtown and encouraged them: look, man, you don't have to be a slave to alcohol anymore. There's there's more for you in Christ, man. Let's let's start looking at next steps. Have you talked to the Salvation Army? Have you talked to this place, this place? Both those guys walk through the lobby, stop. Oh hey! That blessed me so much, man. It wasn't so. Did we get to put them in the car and take them up there and know get to trace with our finger the exact way God was using whoever he was using to invest in those guys' life? No. But I do know when you're out here sowing seed intentionally, God does something with it. Amen, man. That blessed me. <clears throat> The last thing I'm gonna give you is, so I I said we gotta pray for them, share with them, spend time with them. Um, Lastly, we have to know that we are them. We have to know that we are them because here's the bottom line. The most physically destitute and impoverished people in the world don't come anywhere close in comparison to how spiritually impoverished we are apart from Christ. Doesn't come anywhere close. I, I I want you to ask yourself this. Do you really believe this? And I don't just mean like, in a Christian cliche way, like I know that's supposed to be the right answer. I'm asking about what you really believe in your heart. Do you genuinely believe that the physically poorest person on the planet who has laid hold of Christ's gospel, that that great jewel of, of infinite and eternal worth, do you believe that that person is far richer than someone who is so poor that all they have is money or power or fame? Do you really believe that? Because here's why I'm at, here's why I'm pushing you on it. Because it's hard to believe that. Because not many people do. The culture doesn't for sure. But we should. (laughs) And we should know what wretched vagabonds we were apart from Christ. And that should keep us from ever looking down on anybody or disassociating with anybody or having a lack of empathy towards anybody or coming up with a bunch of excuses of how to dismiss anybody for anything. In particular, that they may be poor, disadvantaged, Well, what if it has something to do with their choices? I don't care. I don't care. I'm still called to care for them. And part of caring for them may be getting to know them well enough to speak to them about making different choices. Hallelujah. May God provide us and grant us those opportunities for his glory and his fame and for our good. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the first half of Galatians 2. Thank you uh, that we see examples in the scriptures of how to deal with conflict, theological conflict, doctrinal conflict, um, difficult things. Um, Lord, I don't know. I, I don't know if the Judaizers in this time, if they were genuine and just really, really believed what they thought and thought people were in trouble. Uh, if they weren't Jews first and or if they just were trying to maintain a last kind of bastion of power. I don't know what their motives were. I can't tell, but... Uh, God, I thank you that you worked these things out, that you used the apostle Paul and and Titus and and James and and John and and Peter, and and they, they were able to come to this conclusion. They were able to hold to the purity of the gospel that you gave us in Christ. Lord, help us do the same. Let us not look down on the Judaizers. Let us not look down on those who have been tempted to add to the gospel or to try to take away from it. Lord, let us know that's a constant temptation for all of mankind through all of time. And may we be vigilant. May we care deeply about that. And God, I ask you to continue to work into our heart um, this reality that when one extra thing could be mentioned among this big concern around the purity of the gospel, the pillars, the apostles, the ones that walked with you, Lord, they said, make sure, make sure you're caring for the poor. God, may that resonate in our hearts like it should. May it translate to action like it should. Help us to grow in ever-increasing measure in our love and care for the poor because we know that's your heart, Lord. It's part of how we reflect your care and love and goodness into the world. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies